0: When did God give the Torah to the Jewish people? On Shavuos, right? During the holiday of Shavuos, oh, 50 days yeah, after 50 the Exodus days, from Egypt, yeah. right? 50 days later, the Jewish people come to Mount Sinai, they receive the Torah. But what does that mean, they receive the Torah? Did Moses walk down from the mountain with the Torah scroll? Of course not. Well, they received some part of it before, so they'll have the taste of it. That's right, really what does it mean, they receive the Torah then? They, they make the commitment, I think, maybe oh. to start. So let, let's first take out all of the, all of the, how the you say, all the fiction. Moses did not walk down from a mountain with a Torah scroll. That's for sure. Number two, then people say, well, okay, he didn't walk down from the mountain with a Torah scroll. He walked down with two tablets, with the Ten Commandments and the two tablets. He, he walked with, uh, with the knowledge of... Uh, one second, one second, uh, we'll get to that. Uh, first, ten, first of all, I didn't have the knowledge yet either. He didn't have the knowledge yeah. yet either. Let's he, just what clarify the what happened. we day with the ten, t- ten tablets? So, like this, on the on the sixth of Sivan, which is the holiday of Shavuos, Moses did not walk down with anything. He didn't walk down with ten tablets. He didn't walk down with the Torah scroll. He didn't walk down with anything. So, what happened over there? What happened on the sixth of Sivan, on the holiday of Shavuos? Here is what happened. The Jewish people stood at the mountain, and they saw thunder and they heard lightning. I did not misspeak, by the way. Yeah. They, they saw, they saw thunder, and they heard lightning. The and there was this huge fire, and smoke, and a cloud, and the mountain was shaking. And they heard God speak to them. God spoke to them. And what did He say? So, he, he told them the Ten Commandments, but really, He didn't speak all Ten Commandments. He spoke the first two. The first two were, were, were too much for them to handle. After the first commandment, the first... In fact, they're not really commandments. They're really uh, dibrot, dibur. After the first uh, speech, after the first sentence, the first communication, they all died. Their, their souls left their bodies. God resurrected them. Then he tried a second time. <laughs> they died again. God resurrected them again. And this we read in the parish of Yisrael, in this week's parish that the Jewish people said, uh, No, we, we, we don't want to hear God anymore. You should be the one to speak to us. Yeah, We we can't handle this type of divine revelation. And so at that point, Moses continued the other eight of the Aseret HaDibrot. So on the sixth of Sivan, receiving the Torah was essentially just the communication of the Ten Commandments. The communication of the Ten Commandments and also, I mean, not just also, but most importantly, that's the day that they went through the official conversion that they became, the Jewish nation, they became the Jewish people. This In this week's parasha. this is where we learn where the Jews actually became Jewish people. The legal distinction between a Jew and a non-Jew happened at Matan Torah. The Jewish people went to the mikveh, the men had a bris, and they accepted upon themselves all the mitzvot, right? They said, nah, we're going to do everything, we're going to learn everything. And they brought sacrifices. These are the four things that a convert needs to do in order to, be, to convert to Judaism. If there's a holy temple, you bring a sacrifice. No holy temple, you don't bring a sacrifice. But when Mashiach will come, all those who converted to Judaism in the past 1900 years are going to bring a sacrifice. But that doesn't mean that they're not 100 percent Jewish. They are. In the absence of a temple, not bringing a sacrifice is not uh, is not a problem. Anyway, so so what is what you know what is the how you say on the sixth of season when we became Jewish people. And you'd imagine that whatever communication we receive from God, whether directly or through Moses, would be exact and perfect. No questions about it. No controversies. Nothing. And there's something fascinating here. The Ten Commandments are recorded twice in the Torah. Once here in our parasha, Parashat Yisraeli. And the other time is in the book of Deuteronomy, Devarim. In the second parasha of us, The entire book of Tvarim is essentially Moses recounting um, everything that happened to the Jewish people from the time they left Egypt until they're ready to get into the land of Israel. And, uh, you know, like a review of all the mitzvot. And so he also reviews the story of the giving of the Torah. And he reviews the Ten Commandments. And if you read the Ten Commandments as they are recorded in Deuteronomy, there are not just subtle differences, some serious differences in expression, and even in the actual mitzvah itself, what does the mitzvah mean? What is, what is being communicated here? So let's see uh, an example of that. Source number one. The, 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 one of the most blatant or clearest examples is with regard to the fourth of the Ten Commandments, the fourth of the Ten Dibrot, which is the mitzvah of Shabbos. So let's read it. Source number one. Uh, on the right side is the Exodus version. That's where we're going to read this Shabbos. Zachor, remember the Shabbat day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall work and complete all your labor, but the seventh day is a Shabbat to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animal, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Why? Why should you remember it and why should you not do work? For in six days God made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them but he rested on the seventh day. So Shabbat is a commemoration of creation. Therefore God blessed the Shabbat day and made it holy because that was the day that he rested after his six days of creation. What's the Deuteronomy version? The first word already is different. Shamor. Observe the Shabbat day by keeping it holy. It doesn't say remember the Shabbat day. It says shamor, which means to observe as the Lord your God has commanded you. Okay, that's already a little bit of a difference, but it doesn't really change the actual uh, content of the mitzvah. <clears throat> Six days you shall work and complete all your labor, but the seventh day is a Shabbat to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, um, or any of your animals. Right, so in the Exodus version, it doesn't say ox, donkey, it just says your animal. Okay. Nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. That's also a bit of an addition to the Exodus version. Then, here's where the real kicker is. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, God has commanded you to observe the Shabbat day. Hold on. Two questions. Number one, what happened to creation? Isn't that the reason why we keep Shabbos? Because God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. So in this version, creation is not mentioned. And the reason given for Shabbos is actually very different. The reason why we observe Shabbos is what well, to commemorate Exodus. What's going on? So you'll say, Oh, come on, Rabbi, does that really make a difference? I don't I don't know. Does it doesn't really make a difference? Is Shabbos going to be the same with or without it? Yes. <laughs> but what's going on? This is the official communication between God and the Jewish people on the day they became Jewish. These are the big ten. These were engraved in the in the in the tablets. Which version is right? It's not like there's a missing vav or a missing yud, a misspelling. No, it, it, it's a different content. Literally a different content. What's going on? Alright, so that's with regard to the fourth one. Another interesting difference between the, the first version and the second version, or Exodus version and Deuteronomy version. The tenth commandment is, and that's really on, on the right side, on, on page four, on the right side, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet. What does it say on the left side, which is the Deuteronomy version? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Covet means to want something and to actively work on trying to get it. Let's say you see someone else has a, has a very interesting type of car, and you go and you start to strategize and find ways how you're not going to steal the car how you're going to purchase the car from this person, right? You find the money, you start to send friends and try to convince and try to motivate the person to sell, etc. That's called coveting. Desiring is the step before coveting. Desiring means that, oh, I really want that, right? You you, you did not yet strategize of how to get it, but just setting your eyes on another person's property or possessions or wife or whatever it is, that itself is, is prohibited. But that we learn only in the Deuteronomy version, not in the Exodus version. Anyway, so what we've illustrated is that the two versions are not just um, slightly or nuanced difference, but there are some very uh, serious differences between them. Now, uh, this is actually a very fascinating conversation that happens uh, throughout all levels of Jewish academia, of Torah academia throughout the generations. We're not going to go through all of it. Um. We'll just read here from the Even Ezra. The Even Ezra, he was um, he was a great uh, sage who lived many, many years ago, and he wrote an important um, interpretation on the Torah or a commentary on the Torah. Source number two. This is in Exodus chapter 20, which is the chapter of the Ten Commandments, the first version. This chapter poses difficult questions. We first read the chapter of Yitro, then the chapter of Aschanon, and we notice several differences in the Ten Commandments. The first text says... Remember Zachor, and the second says observe. The reason I'm reading this is so that we shouldn't think that, oh, in the year 2023, Jews opened up the book and said, hey, hey, there's a difference here. No, no, no. We've been dealing with this from the very beginning, <laughs> from, from when Deuteronomy was written, even, even earlier. The first text says remember, and the second says observe. The most difficult question of them all is that, by the way, what's the difference between remember and observe? Remember means that you should you should talk about it. On Shabbos, you have to talk about Shabbos. How? Through reciting Kiddush in the beginning of Shabbos, and through reciting the Havdullah at the end of Shabbos. In other words, make an official ceremony of talking about the fact that Shabbos is beginning and that Shabbos is a different day. How did I meet say when he walked in? You know, we talk about Shabbos. It's an amazing thing. For, you know, in dog days, it's just another dog day, right? The dog wakes up, goes to sleep, he eats, he drinks, he sees it. No, no difference between Shabbos. The only difference is maybe on Shabbos he gets a little bit of chalent, which might be a little bit uh, too tough for him to handle, That's depending true. on the dog, right? But uh, but for, for a Jew, I mean, the difference between Friday and Shabbos is, is, is a tremendous difference. But what do you mean? The, the sun still rises in the east and sets in the west, and water still flows, right? So what's going on? Uh, so remembering the Shabbos means that at the beginning of Shabbos, we have to make an official statement and ceremony, do it over a glass of wine, make a Be'er Priyach Gofen, and make a big announcement that now starts Shabbos. And we're doing this for this and this reason, etc. Drink of the wine and, and celebrate, right? And then at the end of Shabbos, we make the Havdalah, we make an official distinction between the day that just passed and the fact that we're going into the six days of uh, mundane weekdays. That's Zachor. Shamor means to guard it, to observe it. That's observing the laws of Shabbos. Right? So there's a difference between Zachor and Shamor. But uh, the Eben Ezra continues, the most difficult question of them all is that first it gives the creation in six days as the reason for the Shabbat. Continuing, therefore God bless the Shabbos. But these verses aren't written the second time. Instead, a different reason is given. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, concluding, Therefore, God has commanded you to observe the Shabbos day. It doesn't say, therefore, God blessed the Shabbos. It doesn't say the word blessing, right? The first retelling says, do not covet your neighbor's house. While the second says, do not set your desire on your neighbor's house. All right. So there might be those that um, out of laziness will say, it's very simple, it's very simple. The first, the, 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 the first four books of the Torah were dictated to Moses by God. The fifth book of the Torah, Deuteronomy, this is Moshe's own words, right? I mean, if you look at the actual book of Deuteronomy right in the beginning, it's Ela Advarim Asher Diber Moshe. These are the words that Moses spoke, right? That was his last official speech to the Jewish people. It took about 37 days for him to, to say it. But... Um, Someone might be tempted to say, "All right, so the real version is Exodus. That's God's version. So He had a better memory than Moses." I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. The point: yeah, forty days, forty years later, whatever. It was, it was recorded a bit differently. No way, Jose! This is this is absolute uh, craziness to even to even be tempted to go down that rabbit hole. Why? Because even though the Book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book. Is uh, communicated in a way that this was like Moshe's own words, it's not. These are the <coughs> words of God. Nachmanides explains it. Source number three from Nachmanides. Do not be challenged by Deuteronomy where Moses speaks for himself, right? In, in other words, the, the, the four books, Genesis through Numbers, the way it's written is like a, a third party describing a story, right? And God spoke to Moses saying, and God said, and whatever, and Moses did, and Moses went, and the Jewish people came and went. The book of Deuteronomy is written in second person, or first person actually, in first person, in first person, right? Moses is speaking about himself. For example, he said, like in the beginning of the Parsha of which is the parsha where we have the second version of the, of the Ten Commandments, it starts off, I besieged God. So it's Moses speaking in first person. So yeah, you might be tempted to say, well, this is his own words, it's his own recounting. Um, no. For at the beginning of the book, it's, it, it states, These are the words which Moses spoke to all of Israel, meaning that it is recording the words as they were said. Right? So you might be tempted to say these are Moses' words. However, it is certain <coughs> that the entire Torah from the beginning of the book of Genesis until the end was told to Moses by God. As Jeremiah states, from his mouth, he told me all these words, and I write them on paper with ink. Um, like we learned just uh, two weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago about the, the difference between the five books of Moses and the rest of the books of the prophets, that uh, there's a profound difference. Those five books were communicated by God to Moses um, di- directly, in other, whereas other prophets would go in a trance, or they would see it in a, in a, in a, in a vision, or in a, not a vision in, in a dream uh, they would have to interpret it etc this was clear direct communication between god and moses so with regard to its uh as i say its connection to god there is no difference between the first four and the fifth there is a difference in how it was communicated to the jewish people there is something unique about the book of Deuteronomy but with regard to the content there is no difference with regard to, uh, I would say, its legitimacy or its truth. And one cannot say that this is God's recounting of the Ten Commandments in Exodus, and Deuteronomy is Moshe's own recounting of the Ten Commandments. so maybe he got something you know, a little bit messed up or warped or different, etc. Nope, not at all. So both of these versions are valid, are real, were communicated by God to the Jewish people. There is a discussion. Uh, with regard to these two versions, that perhaps the first version was written on the first set of tablets, and the second version was written on the second set of tablets. But that, I mean, it's a very fascinating conversation for itself. I believe uh, a few years ago on Shavuos we had a whole class about it. I'm not going to go into. I'm not going to go into that. Um, this is only to whet your appetite to try to delve into um, the idea of these of these two versions and and the subtleties and and what they teach us. In, in fact, I'll just say one thing with regard to. Um, with her, and, and it's also connected to Shabbos. We're going to get into a different topic here with regard to Shabbos. But um, one, of the, one of the commentators says that these two versions the first version is a version that the entire world heard. The entire world um, was privy to God's communication to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai in the sixth of Sivan. Um, in fact, the, our, our sages tell us that the entire world stopped, everything was quiet. Literally, every, there was absolute silence in the world when God spoke to the Jewish people, which means that everyone in the world heard the Ten Commandments. Everyone heard it. Now, even though these Ten Commandments are Ten Commandments to the Jewish people, specifically, although there might be uh, similarities between some of the Ten Commandments and the seven Noahide laws, which all, which all humanity are obligated to keep, but there are some in the Ten Commandments which are not relevant to the entire world. For example, Shabbos. Only Jews are obligated to keep the seventh day holy, to keep Shabbos holy. However, since the entire world was hearing the messages that were being conveyed in the Ten Commandments, so the messages in the Ten Commandments that were conveyed during Sinai, during the Sinai Revelation, which is recorded in Exodus, were recorded, were communicated in a way where the content does have some type of relevance, although may not it may not be a binding relevance, an obligational relevance. To the, to, the, to the Gentiles, but the content has a relevance to um, their attitudes and their approach to life in general. So take, for example, the mitzvah of Shabbos. The mitzvah of Shabbos is, um, is only binding for Jews. However, the message of Shabbos applies to everyone. What's the message of Shabbos? As communicated in Exodus, God works for six days and rested on the seventh, right? And therefore, make the day holy. This message, the message of the fact that God is creator of the world, is relevant to everybody. And therefore, the concept of zachor, to remember Shabbos, to talk about Shabbos, to talk about the content of Shabbos, is relevant to everyone. Not that they have to make Kiddush or Havdalah, but that what is happening as a result of a Jew making Kiddush, that is relevant to everybody. The book of Deuteronomy, when Moshe was speaking to the Jewish people, he was only speaking to the Jewish people. And therefore, when he's speaking to the Jewish people, um, the characterization of Shabbos can be something much more um, focused and exclusive to the Jewish people. Shamor Yom HaShabbat, observing the Shabbos, is only relevant to the Jewish people. The connection between Shabbos and the Exodus from Egypt is only connected to the Jewish people. Only the Jews were redeemed from Egypt. And we'll see soon how both of these things can work together. But the idea here is, if you're trying to understand why Zachor and creation are an exodus, and Shamor, observe, and 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 the story, and, and the fact that Shabbat is a commemoration of the exodus from Egypt, there's in Deuteronomy, the difference is that one version was heard by the entire world. The other version was communicated exclusively to the Jewish people. Anyway, the point is that we've been dealing with this conundrum, with this, difference, with, the, with, the, with this uh, seeming uh, problem, it's not really a problem, it's just, it's a question that has to be dealt with and it has been dealt with, and we continue to deal with it, now the, uh, the, they, are, they are not competing versions, it's not like we have one version pitted against the other, both of them are, are uh, true, both of them are legitimate and in fact, in the Kiddush that we recite every Friday night, we merge the two together there's a, a synthesis Let's see source number four. This is the blessing that we recite in the Kiddush. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has made us holy with his commandments, has desired us, and has given us in love and goodwill his holy Shabbos as a heritage, in remembrance of the work of creation. Sounds like Exodus, right? Sounds like the first version. The first of the holy festivals, commemorating the Exodus from Egypt. Right here, we're already associating Shabbos to in general all of the festivals. The festivals are clearly connected to the Exodus, right? Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuos—all they're all connected to the Exodus. But here we're saying that Shabbos is also connected to the Exodus. No? So that's the Deuteronomy—that's uh, that, the Deuteronomy version, right? So here we see how both versions are uh, relevant, are important, and they are not a contradiction to each other. So here, on page seven, we're going to start to read a sicha, a talk that the Rebbe spoke to uh, to women once twice a year actually uh, the the synagogue in uh, of chabad headquarters was cleared of all the men and the women would fill the benches and uh, the, the entire synagogue was filled with women it was during a time when they had what's known as the Lubavitch women organization's convention one of the first organizations Arab instituted after he became... Uh, the leader of the Chabad movement was uh, the Lubavitch Women's Organization. In Hebrew it's called Neshei Chabad. The women of Chabad. And uh, the Rabbi empowered uh, the women of the Chabad community, in general the women of the Jewish community, um, to be very influential in Jewish leadership, in education, uh, to be very active. And um, this this served as like a... This, this international organization served as a way to bring women together and to inspire them and Provide resources for women to be active in Jewish life and Jewish communal life, and they would have a convention. It started off at once a year. Um, I believe it evolved into. I mean, the official convention was once a year. Uh, it was around the holiday of Shavuos, around that time, and every year the Rebbe would address uh, the participants of the convention in New York, um, who would who would be in the in the room. Some very fascinating talks to women. So here the Rebbe focuses on this. Difference between the Exodus version and the Deuteronomy version, specifically of the mitzvah of Shabbos. So let, let's see what the Rebbe says. The Torah is the foundation for the lives of the Jewish people, in all their details. By the way, before I continue, I think the Rebbe is the only, the only Jewish leader in all of history that specifically addressed women. I think the only recording of of a leader addressing women is actually Moses. In, in this week's parasha we learned that God tells Moses go and speak these words to the house of Jacob and then speak Israel to the children of Israel and Rashi says that God told Moses I'm giving you a bunch of laws and rules etc and I'm, I'm giving you the Torah and I want to know if they accept it or not but first go speak to the women and speak to them in, their, in, in, in a specific language that is relevant to the women and then go and speak to the men a different language. he gave them two different speeches the ladies speech and the men's speech and he told them, speak to the ladies first. So apparently, I mean, my imagination is that all the women gathered and Moses spoke to them. That's the only record, I mean, the only time that I that I can imagine that I know that you had a, a Jewish leader who spoke specifically to a crowd of, of women. Um, and the Rebbe did that. I don't know of anyone else. Anyway, so uh, back to the, to the Rebbe's talk to the women. The Torah is the foundation for the lives of the Jewish people and all their details. It is therefore clear that it contains everything necessary for life. There are two general patterns of life. There is the regular natural process of life, where no extraordinary forces are apparent. Those are the days that we really want, right? Just, just, you know, live life. And there are also extraordinary events in which supernatural forces are apparent, and divine providence is revealed, right? So we've got the, the regular days, We've got the miraculous amazing days. These two patterns of life are referred to in the sources as natural conduct and miraculous conduct. There is the natural way through which God runs the world in a cyclical form, day after day and year after year. Then there is the supernatural mode, the miracles God works for those that are worthy of them. While miracles aren't a regular daily occurrence. When we contemplate our lives deeply, we can all recognize and feel the miraculous element. So even when you're experiencing a natural day, even when you're experiencing the regular cycle of life, the cycle of the world, of nature, if you you think into it, you can start identifying and uh, feeling the miracles, the miraculous element. Right? We hope that God will continue to steer us with both the natural path and the miraculous path in a positive way, with joy and content. Right? Miracle doesn't have to mean that there was a crisis, by the way. So there's different ways that you could see, and in fact, the end of the previous paragraph, he says, and divine providence is revealed. In general, um, recognizing and identifying clear divine providence, that's miraculous. So that doesn't mean that, that, that there was this, this terrible crisis and the crisis was averted. But in general, a person contemplates in their life and starts to view it from a prism where they say, "Once don't take anything for granted. And to see how everything fell into place and everything worked out in the most perfect way, you're not going to say, oh, that, that's just the way it works, you know. Well, I could write a book about this and tell you how you could do it too. It doesn't always work that way, right? And even if you can, even if you can, you know, a, a doctor that goes into surgery and follows the book, but the fact that it worked, that's a miracle. I have, a, I have a relative who's a who's a school teacher. He's been a school teacher for almost 30 years. And he does a tremendous job. He's an amazing, uh, an amazing educator. And he told me recently, I saw him a few weeks ago, he said, he says, he has a system that's been working for nearly 30 years. And I obviously he has to adapt the system because you know children have changed over the time. But um, he said, every day that I walk into that classroom and I walk out, and the day went without a hitch is a miracle. That's what he told me. Even though he's figured out the system, he's been doing this for almost thirty years. He recognizes that every day that passes without a, a real—I mean, there's always problems, right? Things come up, and that, that's part of running a classroom, right? You're always going to have issues. I said, but if I can walk out that day having a, a, a good day in the classroom, it's a miracle. Why well, he's, he's choosing to understand and appreciate, not to take anything for granted, right? However, there still is this distinction between nature and miracles. We do have the regular humdrum of life and then we have those extraordinary uh, things that happen to us. This distinction also exists in the realm of mitzvot. There is one type of mitzvah that focuses on reminding us that nature comes from God and is controlled by Him. A second type of mitzvah focuses on strengthening our belief that God shows miracles when necessary relates to the Jewish people in a supernatural way. A a mitzvah that focuses on miracle is, uh, for example, matzah. The whole matzah business is one big miracle. Anyway, there are also mitzvahs that contain both elements. And both point to God's control of nature, as well as remind us of a supernatural conduct showing kindness to the Jewish people in a supernatural way. So there are some mitzvahs focused on nature, some mitzvahs focused on miracles, and there are some mitzvahs that synthesize both. The commandment of Shabbos is one of these mitzvahs, containing a practical lesson regarding both forms of divine conduct. How so? Page 9. The mitzvah of Shabbos is one of the Ten Commandments, which are stated twice in the Torah. The first version, oh, and, the Rebbe said, and basically what the Rebbe is going to say is that these two elements are communicated to us in the two versions of the Mitzvah of Shabbos as they are told to us in the Ten Commandments. These are not the only times that the Mitzvah of Shabbos are communicated to us. There's plenty of other times in the Torah where it speaks about Shabbos. But these are like two big ones, you know, very, very important ones. Everything is important. Anyway, I'm not going to continue, uh, how you say, hedging my. <laughs> All right. The Mitzvah of Shabbos is one of the Ten Commandments which are stated twice in the Torah. In the first version of the Ten Commandments, the Torah explains the reason for the Mitzvah of Shabbos. For in six days God made the heavens and the earth, but He rested on the seventh day. When we follow God's instructions, and after working for six days, we observe the seventh day as a Shabbos for God, this strengthens our faith and understanding that our world isn't an independent reality, God forbid, but rather a world created by God over six days. Followed by a seventh day of rest. Thus, the theme of Shabbos is God's ownership of the natural process. Amit, you mentioned when you walked in, you said it's amazing that Shabbos is such an amazing day, but it just happens every single week. It just keeps on going and going and going. It's just, you never, you never get tired of it. It's just, this is just part of it. It's part of the natural process of the world. We know to expect it. There's no, there's no there's no surprises here. <clears throat> You know, you could say, "Well, I I know when to expect Pesach. I know when to expect Sukkot." Right? Well, the truth is that biblically, there was no way to expect it. Biblically speaking, when when the when the Jewish calendar was um, was was happening in its original biblical format, which is that every month, two witnesses would have to see the new moon. They would come to the bed and and the and, and the and the high court would have to. Um, identify when does the month begin, when is Rosh Chodesh, no one knew when to expect Pesach, is it going to be Sunday or Monday, is it going to be Thursday or Friday, no, no one knew, right? and only about two weeks beforehand, and depending where you lived, if you were in Jerusalem, or you were within very close proximity to the High Court, you knew pretty much two weeks in advance, when to expect the holidays, but otherwise, oof, I mean the guy could show up one day and say, hey, tonight is Pesach, I was expecting you tomorrow, no, sorry buddy, you know, so so in other words, originally, biblically, there is no way to expect when when exactly why these, these are these are the miraculous holidays. Shabbos has that element that it's natural. Everyone can expect it. You know exactly when to expect it. It doesn't depend on uh, on other circumstances, on other situations. So that's the that's the natural aspect of Shabbos. Then you have beyond nature. However, in the Torah's second retelling of the Ten Commandments, a different reason is given for the observance of Shabbos. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, God has commanded you to observe the Shabbos day. Accordingly, Shabbos serves as a reminder for us that God took us out of Egypt with miracles in a supernatural manner so that we would be free from Pharaoh and all earthly limitations and that we should be eternal servants of God. The miraculous exodus from Egypt and our status as servants of God are commemorated by our abstinence from work on Shabbos and by our sanctification of the day through the positive mitzvahs associated with it. Through doing so, we express our knowledge and constant awareness of the critically important fact that God continues to guide the Jewish people in a supernatural manner just like He did during the exodus. Simply put, as long as you're a slave, can you determine when you're going to work and when you're not going to work? Of course not. You have no choice. The master says work, you have to work. The Jewish people come out of Egypt and one of the first mitzvahs they get, in fact, even before the Ten Commandments were communicated on Shavuot in the 6th of Sivan, in last week's parasha we learned that when they came to a place called Marah, and they didn't have any water and it was, it was bitter water and it was sweet and miraculous, the whole thing, God gave them mitzvahs to start dealing with them. And one of the first mitzvahs they received was Shabbos. So Shabbos is like almost the immediate. Shabbos is one of the greatest expressions of the fact: no one's in control of me, no one. I'm keeping Shabbos. I, I, I always tell the story of my grandfather. He was he was a, my my father's father. He was sent off to Siberia. He was he was told that he's going. To, I mean, the sentence was he's going to be there for 25 years, and he told me that on the way to Siberia he made three decisions: he will never work on Shabbos, never eat something that's not kosher never eat treyf, <coughs> and never eat Chometz on Pesach. Excuse me, prisoner Greenberg, who are you to make such decisions? Right? When Comrade Stalin says you get up to work, you go to work. When comrade Stalin says you eat this, you eat it. Right? What happened the first Shabbos? He didn't go to work. Now, he was thrown into solitary confinement for five days as a result. He comes out on Thursday, goes to work, The next Shabbos, he didn't go to work again. Back into solitary confinement. This went for two years. Two years. Tell me, who's the slave here? Who's the slave? It's an amazing thing. Now, he's suffering terribly. But no, you're not going to make me work on Shabbos. I'm in control of when I work and when I don't work. I. God is in control. I'm not anyone else's slave. I'm God's slave. And the fact that I can never be someone else's slave, that is one of the biggest miracles of history. Which happened as a result of the Exodus. The Exodus is the miraculous event of history. So we see that in this whole Shabbos, this whole expression of Shabbos, it's not just about a natural phenomenon. Yeah, there's six mundane days, and the seventh day you, you, you don't work. You rest in order to remember that God created the world and its, and its natural process. I don't know. There's a tremendous miracle at play here. The fact that every Jew has the ability to control what they do on Shabbos and to do it in accordance with God's will, with God's instruction, that's that's an amazing miracle. And that's the commemoration of the Exodus. Let's continue on page 10. On On the one hand, Shabbos needs to underline the understanding that the natural process of the world is in fact an act of God who is constantly creating and sustaining the universe and all it contains, On the other hand, Shabbos needs to underline the constant awareness that it wasn't only during the Exodus that God displayed miracles and now we are slaves to our surroundings and subject to earthly laws, like the other nations of the world. We must remember that when God took us out of Egypt, He said, they are my servants, not servants to other servants. We are servants to God alone and are not at all subject to the authority of others, that are themselves servants. By the way, my grandfather's story had a happy ending. After two years of tremendous torture, being in solitary—you ever tried to be in solitary confinement for like two hours? Mm-hmm. You know how you do that. You turn off your phone, right? Mm-hmm. That's solitary confinement. There, you know, you have no connection. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, the worst punishment that they can give in prison is solitary confinement. It's um... it's really a terrible it's a really a terrible experience. And here he was doing solitary confinement for five days in a row and every single week this was happening they were convinced that he would go crazy he did not go crazy his body went crazy he became very very ill and the other prisoners that were there there they respected him and one of the one of the I don't, I don't know exactly how to characterize this guy but i guess one of the mafia gangsters that was one of the leaders of the, of the prisoners he made a deal with the nachalnik with the they call it like the warden or or whatever the one that was the manager of their of their of of their workforce, he said, we gotta let this guy come to, you know, somehow not work on Shabbos, but he shouldn't have to go into solitary confinement every every week. And so they made a deal with him that he's gonna go out to the workplace with them and he's going to walk back and forth between the camp and the work site as if he's uh as if he's like a like a courier, like a messenger with different messages. And they promised him we we'll would never have to work. And he never did. He never worked on Shabbos. He was supposed to be there for 25 years. Miracle happened. Stalin died. And eventually he was released after only being there for seven years. Who's the slave? Who's the prisoner? And how was he able to show how he's not a slave to Stalin? Through Shabbos. Shabbos was that miracle. Shabbos was that supernatural um, freedom card. Shabbos is intended. So, so we're continuing here on page 11, third line here. Shabbos is intended to serve in our lives as a reminder and guidepost that when we encounter a conflict between worldly conventions and God's commands as recorded in the code of Jewish law, we are God's servants. We are only subject to God's control. And He always relates to us in a supernatural manner. And by the way, the observance of Shabbos, there are there's, there's so many opportunities to observe Shabbos when you start to learn the laws of Shabbos, you start to realize how, in other words like this, Shabbos is Shabbos, right? However, if a Jew is not keeping everything in Shabbos, a Jew should keep whatever they can of Shabbos. There are thousands and thousands of laws about Shabbos governing every single thing that we do over the day. So even if a person feels that it's impossible to keep everything, find all those things that you can keep. And no matter what circumstance, whatever situation might be, these are the things you're going to keep, and you're going to keep them properly. And with that, we're connected to Shabbos. With that, we're keeping Shabbos. Um, We're only subject to God's control, and He always relates to us in a supernatural manner. When we have this mindset, the Shabbos will certainly be restful. Shabbos is a source of blessing for the entire week. So through observing Shabbos properly, the entire week is infused with holiness and blessing. So this is, in general, the whole concept of Shabbos and how we see the synthesis between the two messages of Shabbos that come through the two different versions of the Ten Commandments. One of them, that Shabbos is about commemorating creation, that God is in control of the natural process, and on the other hand, that God took us out of Egypt, which is the greatest miracle, that God brings miracles to the world, and that, the, that Shabbos is the gift of being in contact with that miracle on a, in a constant basis. right? The fact that we're able to display that we are servants of God and not servants to anything in the world. We're not servants to worldly conventions or to anything else. What is the unique connection to the woman? The right? Rebbe is speaking to the women. And the Rebbe just ended off and said that when Shabbos is restful, when Shabbos is permeated with this recognition, that has an impact on the entire week. So what is the, the first mitzvah that's observed even before Shabbos begins? What's the mitzvah that welcomes the Shabbos into the home? Lighting the Shabbos candles. And this is the mitzvah that was given specifically to the women. What is the I say? What is, what is the mitzvah of lighting the Shabbos candles? What does it do? What is, what is its impact? What is its message? So continue on page 12. As discussed in the past, the preparations for Shabbos begin before the day arrives. A few minutes before the arrival of Shabbos, we need to light Shabbos candles and bring light into the still mundane world. On this light, we pronounce the blessing. He sanctified us with His commandments and commanded us to light the holy Shabbos candle. By the way, the mitzvah of lighting Shabbos candles is not in the Torah. It's actually, it was instituted by the sages. Sages instituted the mitzvah of Shabbos candles. The reason for it is because the celebration of Shabbos has to begin on the night of Shabbos. We celebrate by eating, eating a good meal. And uh, you can't really eat without having candles, without having light. Because if you don't see what you're eating, you don't enjoy it. Also, if the celebration begins at night, so that means you're not, you're usually, you know, in the olden days, once it got dark outside, you had to sleep. That was it. You can't do that. Once it gets dark on Shabbos, you have to start celebrating. And what's going to happen if you try to celebrate in the dark? You're going to bump into people, you're going to fall over, etc. And it's not such a celebration. So our sages instituted that in order that Shabbos should be celebrated properly, it's a mitzvah, it's an obligation, that every single home should have Shabbos candles light, and they should have candles that are lit. There should be light in the home. And this is a mitzvah. And it's a mitzvah, like, for example, we light the Hanukkah candles. Hanukkah candles are not in the Torah. The Hanukkah candles were instituted by the sages to commemorate the miracle of Hanukkah. And we say a blessing. Right? God who has sanctified us and commanded us. What does it mean he commanded us? He commanded us to observe that which our sages institute as well. So, The mitzvah of Shabbos candles was instituted by the sages for the specific reason of making it possible for us to celebrate Shabbos. This welcomes the Shabbos into the home. And the Shabbos, um, yeah, the Shabbos candle. I'm continuing here in the paragraph, the Shabbos candles illuminate our homes and provide light, but not just for Shabbos, for the entire week which follows. And from our homes, this light needs to spread to our surrounding environment. Shabbos candles must be kindled before Shabbos begins, while the world is still in a mundane state. We're not allowed to light the Shabbos candles on Shabbos itself. If someone misses the time, don't light. We light it specifically when the world is still mundane. This act expresses the concept of Shabbos, that through God's mitzvah, we have the ability to transform a dark and troubled home. In other words, it's not dark yet because it's not yet dark. It's still light outside, but it's dark because it's still... Uh, it's still stuck in uh, in the quicksand of of the mundane world. It's still it's still Friday. It's still the regular mundane mundaneness of the week. So it's able to transform and so and into this mundane world, into the regular Friday. The the, the, the how do you say the, Yom Choyl, the 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 day of mundaneness. We're bringing in the mitzvah, the light of Shabbos itself. This act expresses the concept of Shabbos that through God's mitzvah we have the ability to transform a dark and troubled home into a bright and holy place, filled with physical and spiritual happiness. The ruling of the code of Jewish law, based on the Mishnah and the Talmud, is that the mitzvah is entrusted primarily to women. If there's no woman in the house, then the man is obligated to do so. However, when there's a man and woman in the house, the woman has an obligation to do this. It is the role and privilege of the Jewish women to welcome the light and holiness of Shabbos, and to infuse the rest of the week with this light. Where do we see how the light of Shabbos, the light of the Shabbos candle has an impact on the rest of the week? So we see the, 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 or, the original Shabbos candle lighters were our matriarchs. The Medrash tells us an interesting thing. Source number five. As long as Sarah lived, Avram's wife Sarah, the first of our matriarchs, as long as she lived, her candle that she lit in honor of Shabbos, her candle burned from one Friday night to the next. She did not have this huge canister of, of, uh, of oil and, and you know this little flame was burning out the oil. No, no, she put in enough oil that you put in for any candle that you want for the night. And she lit it and that candle burned until the end of the week. What does that remind you of? Miracle of Hanukkah. And it should. That miracle didn't happen for the first time in history. It started in the, the first time such a miracle happened was in Sarah's tent every week. It was a miracle every week. When she passed away, the candle ceased to burn. What does that mean? When she passed away, Avram started lighting the candle. Someone has to light the candles for Shabbos, right? But Avram's candle burned until whatever, the hour, and that was it, it was over. Who are we talking about, Avram? (laughs) He wasn't baked potatoes, right? This is Avram Avinu, the first Jew, the guy who survived the furnace. Right, the guy who brought Judy, brought monotheism to the entire world. When he burned when he lit the candle, it garnished. It didn't, it didn't do anything special, nothing supernatural. When Rebecca came, it returned. How old was Rebecca? How old was Rifka when she came to Avram's home? She was three years old. When she started to light the candles, boom, it lit until the next Friday night. Avram, Yitzchak, when they lit the candles, nah. when the three-year-old Rifka lit the candles, the miracle that happened to Sarah happened to her as well. There's a tremendous symbolism here. This is also the lesson we can derive from the Medrash about Sarah, our first matriarch. When Sarah kindled her Shabbos candle on Friday, it burned all week until the next Friday, even though its oil was only enough for a few hours. This was possible due to Sarah's great righteousness and good deeds every, and, and it's not just limited to sorry, we see that it happened to Rivka as well, when she was three years old, no less, no more. <laughs> and even afterwards, right? Every Jewish daughter, around on the last page, page 14. <clears throat> every Jewish woman is, ado- you have it? You have the page? You don't have it? Here, just missing a page, okay. There, it should be there. It's good. That's fine, that's fine. It was probably missing, here. Governor. Every Jewish woman is a daughter of our matriarchs Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. This means that every Jewish woman has inherited the supernatural power that through lighting Shabbos candles with a blessing. So there's no promise that the actual flame is going to, I mean, I don't think that that has happened ever since that someone's Shabbos candle should burn until Friday. But the light, the spiritual light that comes as a result of the Shabbos candle, The light and warmth of Shabbos will not only be present over the course of Shabbos, but will also infuse the entire week until the next Friday night, when the candles will be kindled again with additional holiness, light, and warmth. As mentioned above, Shabbos observance illuminates our home and life in both their parts, our regular natural lives and also our extraordinary events. In both of these regards, we are guided and protected by God, the Guardian of Israel. When we all transform our home into a sanctuary for God, a home in which the weekdays are also infused with the holiness of Shabbos and the festivals, God will grant us constant protection. We will then be led to the bright day of the true and complete redemption by Mashiach speedily in our time. Amen. Amen. So, um, the two versions of of the mitzvah of Shabbos as they communicated in the Ten Commandments, they teach us that God is in control of the natural process. God is in control of the miraculous process, and that in our lives today, even though um, we mostly perceive the natural process, if we think deeply into it and appreciate what's really going on, we could see that there's tremendous divine providence. That they are both. It's like it's like this partnership between nature and miracle, and uh, the main thing is that this has to be felt. It has to be understood it has to be like like a flame of the shabbos candle flame of the shabbos candle you could can see it there's no mistaking it and um and that's how our awareness of shabbos and its impact on our lives uh should be felt by us as well in both of these uh, elements thank you all for joining us um any questions so cool. all righty i guess uh, not i huh? have a question but it yeah. doesn't have to do with your secha